You're a little older and a lot wiser. The future is yours. Define aging on your own terms. Welcome to AARP Without Limits with your host, Mike Olander. Hello and welcome. This is AARP Without Limits, WPTF Talk Radio, disrupting aging with the power of 50,000 watts. And our podcast, available anytime, on demand, at WPTF.com or through our Facebook, AARP North Carolina. I'm your host, Mike Olander. I'm the director of AARP North Carolina. We've got a great show for you today. Catherine Wilson, who is a board-certified specialist in estate planning and probate law, is with us to talk about guardianship here in North Carolina, what, what it is, how it works, and what is being done now to improve it here in our state. But before we get to that, as always, ladies and gentlemen, my esteemed production engineer here at WPTF, Mr. Jason Kong. Jason, how are you today, sir? Good, Mike. I'm excited for the show. Uh, not to put any pressure on you, but you always have a great guest and you always have uh, a good nugget or some food for thought to start off the show. So I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have to say. And I have to say, given all the work that you do here at the studio, at the, excuse me, at the studio and all of the... Um, Delving into, you know, quote unquote, senior issues that you do here in other programming. I'm excited to hear you say that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's a great show. And, you know, we've been at this for a while. So I'm uh, always happy to be here. That's right. We are actually right about now at our six month anniversary here at WPTF. I just realized that. It's flown by. It really has. And just like all of our programs here each week fly by uh, whenever we have Great programming, great guests, great discussion, as always, like we do today. Um, so, too, have six months just flown by. And uh, we're just getting started, folks. I'm really happy to say that. So, Jason, what's new in your world just here at the Sioux? Have thing, or, are things at a good pace for you right now, or, or how are things going for you? Things are good. Getting yeah. ready for summer vacation for the kids, trying to deal with camps and things like that, getting that all scheduled. So that's, that's the main, I guess, burden that I'm dealing with right now. Got you, got you there. I am doing some big summer planning with uh, with my family as well, including getting up to see my parents at some point. They're living up in Connecticut along with uh, one of my brothers. And um, tell you, they are. Uh, my mom is going to be celebrating her 80th birthday uh, the end of this summer. So we're really excited about that. Me and my four siblings are probably going to venture up. We're all up and down the East Coast, make our way up to oh, Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, and celebrate with her just like we did for my dad's 80th uh, three years ago, right before COVID, actually, as it as it turns out. So um, here we are, right after COVID, quote unquote, after you know, post COVID, <laughs> right? Uh, it's still with us, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, that that you know, I'm, I'm mentioning that because as my parents are getting older, you know, I got a call from my dad the other day, and he's like, "Hey, I'm thinking about relocating down down to North Carolina," and, and we've heard this many times before in, in the past. My parents have a great, beautiful house up in uh, New England, and um, they're very. Uh, um, um, the idea of relocating, let's just say, it's been something they've explored, but they're just like, eh, they want to move out of that wonderful um, neighborhood and, and home that they're in. But um, as they're getting older and they're dealing with some health issues, um, you know, they're realizing that for them, caregiving is going to become something that they are going to need. And uh, I'm bringing that up because just recently, AARP commissioned a, um, a survey on caregiving 
related specifically to elections. Now, this is really interesting, Jason, and for our listeners who who may not be aware, you know, usually, you know, you hear about polling around elections and you're, you know, it's usually the horse race stuff, who's ahead and what's your opinion on this divisive issue versus that divisive issue, especially now. It's absolutely crazy, right? Well, we at ARP said, well, let's really blow people's hair back with a real sexy topic for the election, like caregiving, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, Yes, it's not your typical um, type of survey, a political type of survey. But for this, we felt it's really, really important because it is such a priority um, for so many people. You know, there's a famous quote from uh, Rosalind Carter, who was the um, a, a spouse of, uh, of President Jimmy Carter, who said there are only four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a, a caregiver. And so uh, what ARP did, uh, as we often do, is we got together two uh, pollsters, uh, one that works on the left, one that uh, works on the right. Um, In this particular case, uh, we worked with the ARP Commission with Impact Research, which has worked with a number of Democrats over the the years, including uh, President Joe Biden, and uh, Fabrizio Ward, who has worked on many Republican campaigns, including with uh, former President Donald Trump. And so got them together, joined forces with ARP to do specifically a survey on attitudes related to caregiving. And I want to share with you, Jason, just some of the key insights, um, just because this is really important for, for, for folks to understand. And if you see hopefully candidates in 2024 talking more about caregiving. Maybe you'll say, I remember that episode of uh, Without Limits, AARP and WPTF, where they were talking about this. For many caregivers, caregiving takes a big chunk of their yearly finances and takes several hours from their week. Four in 10 family caregivers report spending 20 hours a week on their caregiving responsibilities, while roughly six in 10 incur $1,000 or more in annual out-of-pocket expenses on items such as medical supplies and equipment, transportation, home modifications. Um, let's see here. Emotional stress, having to miss important events, needing to, re- needing to balance their work, family, and caregiving responsibility are common among a majority of family caregivers. Being unable to take vacations, needing to reduce their work hours or to quit jobs altogether and failing to advance in their careers are also noted by caregivers. And that's an interesting thing I, I found in this too, is that think about that, the inability for some people to actually climb that corporate ladder or whatever it is that they're doing in their career due to caregiving responsibilities they have at home. When asked what they would like Congress or their state government to do, family caregivers say they would like increased access to health care and financial support. And when given the choice between financial support and caregiving support, that would give them time to do other things by a margin of two to one. Most caregivers would prefer financial support from Congress. Voters believe Congress should support family caregivers. Over two-thirds of registered voters, 18 and up, and I should mention this this uh, survey was done with, uh, with caregivers who are 18 and older. Um, these registered voters, uh, two-thirds of them believe that is extremely or very important for Congress to help seniors to continue to live independently in their own homes, and more than half believe it is extremely or very important to provide support to unpaid family caregivers. Among voters age 50 and older, the, f- the figures are even higher, with three quarters and six in 10 noting the importance 
of addressing these issues. Um, and uh, just one other thing here that's really uh, key, emotional stress being the biggest uh, toll on folks uh, noted in this. And also, as I mentioned before, we put together Republican and Democratic firms to specifically to be asking people, you know, in terms of their, uh, what they want to be hearing from the candidates. Amazing bipartisan agreement on this. Registered voters believe it is extremely or very important for Congress to provide support to unpaid family caregivers. Like their support for expanding services to enable seniors to live independently, nearly nine in 10 Democrats and three quarters of Republicans believe that support to unpaid family caregivers is important. Proposals to share family, uh, to support family caregivers would motivate voters to support congressional candidates. Imagine that. Here we hear in our media all this talk about all these divisive issues, Jason, right? And who would have thought that um, very large chunks of registered voters who are family caregivers um, are saying they would actually be motivated uh, to go out and to vote for a candidate who is actually out there expressing uh, how they can address the needs of family caregivers, both in terms of you know providing financial support and um, offering things like life-work balance, workplace flexibility, so they can uh, uh, be able to provide support for their families. Pretty, pretty astounding, I have to say. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? It is really interesting, and I would be. It's going to be fascinating to watch and see if this does come up in some campaigns and the way that this is positioned to people because, it, as you said, it, it has universal appeal. And for those who are dealing with the caregiving situation, boy, you better believe that this is something that will be on their radar. Absolutely. And for folks who want to get more information on this, you can read the entire report. Uh, just simply go to ARP.org um, or you can just Google AARP uh, Caregiver Survey. Um, and it will pop up, and you'll see there's there's a bunch of these that we have done over the years. Each one is different, but uh, as we're getting you know close to 2024, well, we're not really, <laughs> but uh, you know if you, if you uh, take a look at what's going on in the media, we're talking about the the presidential and congressional runs next year. Um, you, you see why we're doing this now because we do want to set the stage. This is the opportunity every four years, every two years. Uh, we do have that opportunity to try and raise the profile of certain issues that are really, really important to families and, uh, of course, with ARP to to uh, older folks. And so, uh, so, so important. And sorry we got in, in so, into so many details there. Um, I want to bring on board here really quickly um, Catherine Wilson, who is our guest today, who she is a partner with McPherson, Rockamore, Nicholson, Wilson, and Hinkle. Um, here in Durham, uh, her practice centers on estate planning for persons with special needs, guardianships, and complex probate issues. Catherine Wilson, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so pleased to be here. Now, you specialize in estate planning and probate law. And for many people who, you know, they don't take the time to understand something unless they have to. So for those of us uh, in the listening audience who don't know, what does estate planning consist of and what is probate law? All right. Well, so when we think of estate planning, and when I tell most people that I am an estate planning lawyer, um, the first response I get is, oh, you draft people's wills. And that is completely correct. So I, one of the, the foremost things that I do is draft documents, a, a will or a trust that is going to outline how people want their property to pass when they die one day. 
So that is the first thing. The, the second thing, though, that estate planning does that not many people realize is that we also, we estate planners also help people plan for um, events of disability or incapacity during their lifetime. So it's not only what happens at death, it's also what happens if, if somebody becomes disabled or incapacitated. And we help our clients make choices and set up documents like powers of attorney and healthcare directives that actually set forth their wishes about how their affairs should be handled if they can no longer handle them or completely handle them themselves. And I know you've been getting involved specifically in the issue in guardianship here in, uh, in the North Carolina State Legislature. And when we come back from this commercial break, we're going to dig into that with you. This is ARP Without Limits. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is AARP Without Limits. Send us a question, send us a comment, send us a recommendation for a future guest or topic by sending us an email at aarpwithoutlimits at aarp.org. We've been speaking today with Catherine Wilson, uh, who specializes in estate planning and probate law. She's also been very involved in the effort to try and improve how we do guardianship here in North Carolina. And Catherine, the issue of guardianship has been in the headlines this past year. We've seen this situation with Britney Spears, you know, getting into the headlines. I think I even had a notification pop up on my phone out of nowhere uh, on this issue. Uh, What exactly is guardianship and how does it work here in North Carolina for those folks who don't know? Yeah, so Mike, that's a great question. Um, Guardianship is a legal process and it is a court supervised process when an individual um, is no longer able to make their own decisions, make and communicate their own decisions or manage their own financial or healthcare affairs. Uh, a, A petition can be brought in what is our North Carolina probate court and that petition gets a hearing and if the court feels by a high standard of evidence, it's clear, cogent and convincing evidence that that person lacks the ability to make these decisions for themselves, they will appoint a guardian. And you mentioned um, Britney Spears. And I, I think what we really, all of us who are watching this, especially those of us who practice in the area of guardianships you know, and kind of watching this, you know, the public uh, in real time, look at this case. I think what was was so eye-opening for so many is guardianship is such a powerful legal remedy. It is a complete, what we would call legal remedy, meaning that when somebody is subject to guardianship in North Carolina, their rights and liberties and freedoms are really removed and given to another substitute decision maker in their place. And that substitute is what we call the guardian. So I think what, what really hit home for a lot of folks is, my goodness, this is such an extreme remedy that maybe it's necessary in some cases, but it, I think it opened folks' eyes to um, it may not always be the best path for every single person. And the fact that it takes away so many freedoms, I think, gave a lot of people pause as, as they were looking at, at the Britney Spears story in particular. Mm, um, at, at an event in um, here in Raleigh a couple of weeks ago, there was a lot of information uh, shared about the guardianship system, including the fact that the system really has not been updated in a very long time. Um, what aspects of guardianship are in need of updating here in North Carolina, and, and what are some of those remedies? 
Yeah, so this is something that a lot of us in, in the guardianship world, uh, especially in, in North Carolina, have been thinking about and, and working on for quite some time now. It's been several decades since our guardianship statutes in North Carolina were updated. So they were they were overdue, I think, for for some some updates. Um, one of the the focuses I think that are were due for updates were making sure that the rights of the individual who is going through the guardianship process and who may be subject to a guardian if the court decides to appoint a guardian for them, we wanted to make sure that the rights of that person are up front and center in the process, that the person who is going through this process is informed of their rights, both during the guardianship proceeding and then after if a guardian is actually appointed. That's one big concern. That one of the other concerns is we wanted to make sure that guardianship is used as a last resort, that it is not the first place we go when somebody is struggling with making decisions or managing their affairs. It's the absolute last place and that we consider every other less restrictive alternative before we end up in a guardianship. Those were two really strong concerns and issues um, that were really, you know, at the forefront of, of what we believed were updates that needed to be made to, to our North Carolina law. And, you know, at that event, we were hearing a bit about, back in Raleigh a few weeks ago, we were hearing stories about how folks have been personally affected. Um, are you able to share any, like, stories of, you know, actual, you know, situations where, you know, the the need for these updating has really been illustrated? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've uh, Just to give you a little bit of background for, for me, I've, I've been practicing in this area of the law going on um, 18 years now and practicing guardianship in two different states uh, at, th throughout that period of time. So I've, I've been involved in, say, hundreds of guardianship cases during my career. What I've seen is um, many times people who are going through the guardianship process they don't fully understand what the implications of guardianship and they don't understand how comprehensive it is and how much it can take away rights and freedoms. And so, you know, seeing people go through these these issues, um, it, it really hit home the need for everybody to be fully informed and not just the person going through the guardianship, but family members and friends, anyone who is involved in that process who, who, who needs to be notified of what is happening also needs to be aware of this. One, so people can advocate for themselves and also so friends, family members, supporters of that person can also step in and advocate and say, OK, well, maybe there there might need to be some help, but we want to make sure that we preserve the rights that can be preserved. So definitely seen that in my practice and definitely seen a need for making sure that we 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 consider less restrictive alternatives before jumping straight into guardianship. And I think going back to talking about, you know, my career as an estate planner. One of the things I do every single day is help people put powers of attorney in place, whether it's a financial power of attorney or a healthcare power of attorney. And again, we're talking about when they may become incapacitated or experience a period of disability. They are choosing who they want to assist them with these decisions. Guardianship really takes that away. But one of the things we wanted to work on with with the with with the particular legislation that we've been with, with Senate Bill 308 is we've been wanting to um, put the focus on what decisions has the person already made? How can we respect those decisions? And how can we keep them out of a guardianship um, if they've already written down or expressed their rights or put into place a system uh, that is working for them and helping them manage affairs? 
Mm. And you just referenced here this guardianship rights bill. What, what more can you tell us about that? And and how did this bill come about? Because I, I, as I understand, there was you guys were pretty busy while hunkered down during COVID and got a jump start on, on drafting this. It was, and and I've got to give so much credit. There, there's a a multi uh, multi layered coalition of advocates and stakeholders. Uh, it's a group called Rethinking Guardianship North Carolina. So this was a group that um, was really run out of the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill School of Social Work, but they put put uh, uh, in place a, a bunch of advocates and people who are very interested in guardianship reform together. We worked with this group um, for a period of uh, uh, two to three years, and then really in the last year, developed the Senate Bill 308. And what Senate Bill 308 does, just to give you a, a quick summary, is it requires now in the law that that a notice of rights be given to everyone involved in the process. So everyone is fully aware of the rights and the rights that are at issue in a guardianship when it's brought. The second thing it does is it requires consideration of less restrictive alternatives and even goes so far as to say, if I have a less restrictive alternative in place, such as I've chosen my power of attorney, I've selected my people who are going to help me make decisions if I need help, then the guardianship has to be dismissed. It does not go any further. And somebody who does not end up in guardianship who's made those choices. We've also given the courts better tools for oversight and monitoring existing guardianships, again, because we want to prevent abuse and we want to make sure that guardianships work the way they have to. And just to sum up kind of what we were trying to do, we wanted we want to reduce the number of unnecessary guardianships with Senate Bill 308. And we also want to improve the, the guardianships that we need to have. So in, in summary, that's what we're going for with this with this bill that's down at the General Assembly right now. And I have to say, I really appreciate you and and, and others working on this. And for folks who uh, should know, ARP North Carolina is is supporting this because we agree these changes do need to be uh, made. Uh, guardianship, as you said, should be a last resort and do need to make the existing system much better because it's been so long since it's been updated in so many important ways. Uh, Catherine Wilson, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. That is a wrap, folks. I want to thank Catherine Wilson for her being with us, for her expertise in this area and her continued work on this issue. Thank you to Jason Kong for production. Thank you for listening. This has been AARP Without Limits. I'm Mike Olander signing off.